I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am here with my next guest, Stephanie Kirkpatrick, who is the founder and CEO of Orem. And I am so excited to have her here. Her founder story and her journey and the problem that she is tackling is very, very courageous. Orem is building a new financial infrastructure that allows money to move immediately and automatically across accounts, products, and financial institutions. And like I said, she has this amazing backstory. Uh, she actually was on the team with another one of our Yes, uh, Alex. So it'll be very, very fun to to uh, talk a little bit more about that. But I love her courage that she has really, really inspired me and motivated me just kind of hearing her story and also just knowing what she's tackling will make it a lot easier for people um, to live. So I can't wait to hear more about it directly from her. But without further ado, welcome, Stephanie. Hi, Kara. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me today. Super excited. So so let's start at the beginning. What, not at the very, very beginning, but I'd love to hear you share a bit about how, you know, you got this idea for Orem and how, how would you describe it to people? So Orem is actually really simple to describe. My why of so being here, I think, is probably the more interesting thing. But let me tell you about Orem really quickly. So we are the simplest API integration for instant payouts. With us, you can use one solution to deliver payouts and you access RTP, which is real-time payments, ACH, same-day ACH, and more. We are exciting to be launch partners uh, with FedNow's Faster Payments Program in the U.S. later this year. And that allows folks to implement payment stacks and instant payouts in literally a single API. In fact, we have a customer right now going through it in, I think they'll be live in less than seven days from uh, launch of contract. And that puts folks on a path to launch a totally differentiated uh, new payout experience. We're going to talk about why I care so much about instant payments. And that really positions companies to diversify the revenue that they're bringing in the door. And together we grow beyond just a payout solution, right? Um, We are here to power, in some cases, fintechs, financial services providers, banks, um, you name it, with the ability to go beyond just a payout solution and the ability to really thrive in a real-time world. If you think about it, you can get a massage on demand in your house in basically major every every major city in the U.S. And it's going to take you minimum three to five days to move your own money from point A to point B. And I just feel like that's a that's a that's a that's a thing really worth solving um, when you think about what time to money means for the average American household and how their behavior ch- patterns would change will change when the fear and uncertainty of putting money in a high-yield savings or a brokerage account goes away because they're no longer gated by nights, weekends, holidays. And there's truly 24-7, 365 access to money when people need it, when businesses need it, that we create a universal and wholly different way of thinking about um, what ultimately drives uh, our financial system and the American wallet. 
So my story goes back to my childhood and like seeing this kind of firsthand problem and, and thinking about it over many phases of my career before we got to Orem. So so do you remember that? Like when when was the first time that you were like, wait, what? Why does that take so long? Do you remember kind of that moment? You know, I have this like really precise memory as a kid, actually, where my parents were talking about their taxes for the year. And something I'd overheard was basically implying to me that we were poor. Um, and so in that moment, I remember going around saying, like, we're poor, we're poor, we're poor. I did like that was like a a definition that needed to be explained to the rest of the world. And what it ultimately boiled down to was seeing my dad, who's an immigrant, come to the U.S., not even get beyond a high school education and try to figure out how he was going to build a life for himself and how he's going to create financial stability. And so that memory from childhood of like not really understanding what that meant, but realizing my parents were worried about it and how they were worried about cash flow and savings and debt repayment, I think just colored the journey I took to becoming a financial planner, which then took me to a company called LearnVest. And that's where I started to see this pain point around time to money. Because we created algorithmic advice that could easily answer the question, what should Kara or Stephanie or anyone do next with their next dollar? And then where it stopped was not behavior change to say, let's get better habits in place. Although I'm a huge believer in habits in general, the problem was ultimately fear that if I saved money, right now you can get a great yield thanks to interest rates in a high yield savings that's probably decoupled from where you bank. But on Saturday at 2 p.m., if you have an emergency and you can't get that money back for three to five days, you're not even inclined to put it there in the first place. So it's this vicious cycle where those who have less continue to have less because they don't take advantage of the opportunities that are there that could create pathways to broader and more certain financial stability. So I saw it and I just studied it. And after we sold LearnBest to Northwestern Mutual, your magnitude of scale isn't thousands of people. It's not hundreds of thousands of people. It's millions of Americans. For getting amazing advice on how to think about their finances, and they're still held back by the time to money problem. So we just sat. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn, quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. 
The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is Super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Inside of my bones, I think for a long time, before it was really something I realized I wanted to change and, you know, finding the courage to jump off a, a cliff, so to speak, into the life of a founder, it doesn't happen, I don't think, overnight. And it's, it's deep, deeply embedded passion and conviction that this is the problem I want to obsess about for the rest of my career. 
I love it. That's so, so interesting. So you mentioned LearnVest and Alexis, obviously. I mean, it's such an incredible entrepreneur that we had on here as well. Do you think actually working for another founder that was very smart, approachable, uh, you know, that she figured stuff out along the way, you were able to kind of get a bird's eye view into that and obviously saw a tremendous transaction that that really helped you to kind of piece it all together to say, wait a minute, it's it's scary, but I think I can do this. I mean, without a doubt, um, working for another woman and working for a female entrepreneur who was literally in her 20s when I met her, and I'm actually a little bit older than she is, um, the bravery to just be like, I am doing something. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change financial advice for the 99% was so inspiring. And then when I got in the door, I think my title was like financial planner in residence, which means kind of nothing, but also means kind of you're in charge of everything around financial advice until you're not. Right. And I think the journey of being early stage, and I, I see this with folks at Orem today, is like if there's a vacancy, fill it. If there's a chance to be around the table and maybe perhaps you don't need to speak, but you're listening, absorb. Right. And so, yes, I was able to pattern match, I think, through that experience, some of the things I was going to experience as a founder um, that I've definitely seen that I saw then. But I will say it's a wholly different time. A B2B business is different for me. And that's where some of my learnings and pain points have come from of like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. So they're, they're definitely different models. But I think because Inspired Capital ended up writing an inspiration check, and Alexa was um, essentially first money into Aurum. I don't know what's scarier, taking money from people you do know or taking money from people you don't know. But the sort of implied understanding that we have always had is we're in it through thick and thin. And when I fast forward on Orem someday being a public company, that first investor who will buy up in every round, who will buy in the public markets, and who will sit on my board probably forever. And that I think creates a certainty that no matter what we experience and what patterns we saw before and as an entrepreneur I see now, um, there's somebody there that's that's on my side, that's thinking about success with me, for me, and kind of helping at every turn in the road. And so I would say it's, it's just been a really incredible opportunity to have had management and leadership experience in a startup, go through an acquisition, and then now be at like the blank piece of paper, day zero again, and be able to actual a lot of those learnings into what is Orem today. Those are terrific insights. And you mentioned she's on your board as well. I always think that having somebody on your board that has done this before, not done your company, but I mean, has scaled it and has seen the different stages. Uh, that's that's just incredibly value valuable um, to have. Definitely. Yeah. Having a woman and having a former operator in board seat um, is something I hope we see more of. I think, you know, women in general do struggle to be in a position to be on those boards, let alone be able to be sort of well trusted and inside come the inside track of a company so it's awesome to have a board today that is 50 percent female which then reflects the design of how we want to build the cap table the company itself and the kind of value that we carry and i carry around diversity of thought through diversity of people and this idea that if we just say diversity but we don't action it with the board with the management team with the cap table it's ultimately just words on a piece of paper. So that's gone, gone into a lot of how we've thought about what I'm going to call company design, um, in addition to just having this operator person who's got deep knowledge of what we're doing. So how do you 
know when you're successful along uh, along the way? Because it's <laughs> like, I mean, I would imagine you've got goals and you're trying to, you know, hit those goals. And I, I always think about it as, I don't know if it's a ladder or if it's like a, you know, a line in the sand and you just keep extending it or however you want to visualize it. But like, how do you think about that? Like, where where does, when do you wake up and say, I'm successful, the company's successful, all of that? You know, you're helping me channel some good feedback that I have for my coach and for anybody listening who doesn't have a coach in their life, which is different than a therapist, which is different than a board member, which is different than a supportive spouse. Having a coach who can really coach you through, in, in my experience, the, the experience of being an entrepreneur and a founder. I think is really important. And it's some somebody that I turn to often. Um, I think what I've learned from coaching is like, I am successful right now, today, or I'm successful. We're alive. We're funded. We're running the company in the right direction. We're running it well uh-huh. um, in today's macro environment. And I am successful by the sheer fact that I continue to gain experience and use that experience to progress myself, folks on my team, and what the business is doing. Because I think if you're chasing kind of like a line in the sand, uh-huh. there are arbitrary things, X number of customers, Y number of dollars that your platform has done, Z number of awards, you win, whatever the metrics are, you can chase those. And we absolutely put benchmarks in place. But I'm not sure that success is arriving at the finish line. I think success is what are you doing on the jury? Because if we're obsessing about the problem in the right way, there is no done, uh-huh. right? It's not like just build new infrastructure and you're done. It's all the things that come with being able to think about constantly innovating at the infrastructure level. Um, and I don't know what the finish line looks like. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, much more than the next couple of years. And importantly, what are some of the short-term things that we need to make sure that we spend time on? that are relevant to the next couple of quarters before we're worried about what's going on three, five, 10 years out. I am convinced that this is a 10-year endeavor to experience what probably people deem success because I don't think they're overnight moments. But there's been so many successes, amazing hires, our first customers, our best customers. Success comes in so many shapes and sizes. and I think sometimes that's lost when you're thinking about the entrepreneur journey because it is absolutely circuitous of highs and lows, ins and outs, learnings, things I wish I'd known, things I now know. Uh, and when I think that we are successful for where we are, we're right where we're supposed to be. I love that answer. So, what was kind of the biggest hurdle when you started your company? I mean, you had worked for incredible uh, entrepreneur and incredible opportunity, uh, but then all of a sudden, you know, the buck stops with you. I mean, you hung a shingle and what what would you say was sort of the biggest hurdle for you? You know, the timing of when we founded Orem has a lot to do with my answer because I think this would look really different in another setting, but we're basically a pandemic baby. Uh-huh. Um, Orem was born in late 2019, but we weren't starting our build on our product until we were into 2020, at which point essentially like, Within the first couple of months of the year, as we were getting ready to go raise uh-huh. more institutional capital and really do a proper seed round, COVID is happening. And it's super unclear at that time. It's much more clear today what that was going to mean. And so, you know, the very beginning is like, we're not taking salaries. We're uncertain. We, we left the, the office. We left a like, we work conference room one day and never came back. 
And it was really unclear if there would be capital in the market, if there would be opportunity to be able to go spend time on this problem at that time. So that for me colors probably some of the biggest unknowns and hurdles we faced in the very beginning. I think more concretely and beyond just pandemic life, um, we had this really interesting moment where we were effectively thinking about solving two parts of the problem, which is the speed at which money moves and the ability to access new forms of money movement and the intelligence that can go with that speed so that you're making the right decision about risk, about speed, about cost. And so we stood up our first product in market as a standalone, and it was always intended to connect and be like a a data point or a feeder into our second set of APIs. But when I looked back, and now I see more clearly, we actually built this like standalone API that was connecting to customers, but there was no system design in place to connect it to the next thing we were working on. And you're kind of like, that feels so obvious, right? Like, of course, in retrospect, but at the time, we were trying to de-risk both sides of the business and do two things at once. And I think the ultimate sort of advice here is that it is true. Companies do not die from lack of ambition. They die from lack of focus. Uh And I wouldn't say we were wholly unfocused, but we were trying to do two things at once. And like, even the most legendary founders, CEOs, and company builders will tell you, and sometimes you have to live it yourself like I did, doing two things at once is infinitely harder than doing one and doing it really well. And getting certainty on that before you move on to the next thing. So that was just a big learning. And I think ultimately a hurdle because you have live customers, using something, but you're finding it harder to sell. It's not ready. And there's major overhaul work to make it work for the next thing you're doing. And like, how do you make the decision on what to do when you're faced with that problem? And by the way, first time founder, first time CEO. So that's where I draw on my 911 list, right? And, and folks on the board are definitely on it. My coach is on it. But there are other operators that I call who are good at certain very specific things. And some of my best moments are calling the 911 list and saying, what do I do? Not because I need them to tell me the answer, but I need to collect facts so I can make a decision. Yeah, I think that's, that is uh, definitely, I would 1000% agree with you. I, I had actually formed sort of a informal advisory board early on that I could call on various things when I felt sort of stuck um, that were yeah. You know, what I found, too, and part of the reason why I started this podcast, frankly, was that I, there are, you know, little stories along the way. Alexis probably has those stories that, you know, there were things that you thought were going to work and then they didn't work. Right. And then maybe you. So many of them. <laughs> right. And and depending on when you came into a company, you may have learned a lot of these things, but you didn't know it, right? Like they, you didn't see some of these stories. And so that's really where I think being able to share these stories, even though they didn't work out, I think are, you know, incredible. And um, I had written a book a couple of years ago that shared a lot of the stories along the way. And I mean, it was therapeutic for me to write the book that I could finally, <laughs> you know, write a lot of these things out. But it's fascinating because I've heard from so many people that there's just all these stories where, you know, things didn't work out. And it's not like you, you know, got together with your uh, the parents at your kid's preschool to, and shared these stories <laughs> or, I mean, I had no one else to talk to about these, about totally. these things and, and instead figured out, okay, I need to start focusing on what's working and, and all of those <laughs> um, nuggets that you just mentioned. So, in terms of tactics of starting a company, 
Um, what were kind of the first things that you did? I would imagine you, you know, you had the idea, you wrote a business plan and really started thinking about it. Did you hire people um, early on to partner with you? Or um, what was, were you just kind of going to figure it out first before you got anyone else involved? You know, as a founder who's not got a technical background, my kind of constraint at the time was this question beyond am I ready, which ultimately I answered, which was yes, is I'm not a technical founder. And is that viable? Is it viable for me to go build a B2B business that's deeply technical, that's going to require extremely good engineering, very fast system design and architecture without a co-founder? So I spent a minute thinking about and really getting counsel. And I would say that the advice I got ultimately was like, I should get a technical co-founder because I'm not technical. And in the end, I ultimately didn't. And I think that it kind of plays into the imposter syndrome that we create in our heads about why people never get started. And I think your book speaks to aspects of just go, just try, just say yes. And that sounds so easy on paper. And then when you're facing this reality, which is like, well, I might have a business plan. It's probably a good one. And I even have some now dollars to go start investing in figuring this out. Is my first hire someone that I could work well with on the business side? Or is my first hire someone who can write code? And am I, as a standalone founder, strong enough, capable enough as a woman, who's not technical, to go the distance in a very technical field that is dominated by men. And there's a, a, a real impact to thinking about that imposter syndrome and managing through it. Um, most people ride roller coasters and love turbulence on airplanes and jump out of, you know, jump off bridges for bungee jumping and like they love the adrenaline. For me, the adrenaline comes from the sheer joy of like opportunity that's on a blank piece of paper. But this was the first time where I had to think about not having a technical counterpart, right? In every other role that existed for me already. And so that was probably my big debate at the moment. And I think other women definitely face that. There are just not enough women who go through STEM programs, who end up in computer science programs, who then become engineers, who then become founders, who have the technical abilities. For those that are out there, I envy them and and definitely have like a sense of, like I said, imposter syndrome not to have that. But I did overcome that. And so what is day zero look like actually kind of funny and it's like oh well we have to pay people and we need to incorporate and so there's legal steps you have to take that i think is more well known to some than others you want to be a delaware corporation and you know there's certain things you do to make sure you can raise venture capital which is different than business lending etc but the real business setup came from saying we've thought about this problem i'm going to get together a very small group of operators initially those operators and I had all worked together before, and I think that's not uncommon. Um, but there's a difference between being friends and being operators in a startup, uh-huh. right? And so just eyes wide open, what does it mean to bring someone that you've worked with before and are friendly with, friendly with in real life into your business at that time? On the one hand, you speak the same language. You can sprint faster. On the other hand, you have a whole thing outside of the confines of a work environment that you have to think about. And those were considerations, um, although ultimately... Some of the early folks were a combination of people I'd worked with before and deeply good friends. And I think that that probably helped overcome some of the imposter syndrome uh-huh. to just to just go, right? To just go. I was looking for uh, a technical person who could work on the machine learning and data science part of our product at that time. And I went to Chief, which is a women's network. And I was in their Slack community, just typing up some notes, looking, you know, putting the inquiry out and another woman responded. And she said, oh, I do that. I work in data science. And so that was the beginning of being able to find 
some of those more technical people that ended up being really powerful parts of Orem. And, and it's so incredible to think like we met on the internet, right? For for a job, so to speak. But at pandemic time, in pandemic times, I went to my network. Yeah. And I started looking within my network first. Um, and then from there, we laid out a plan of attack, which is how fast could we get a minimally viable version of product and market? Because at this point, we don't have certainty that the first thing we're going to do is the ultimate thing we'll do. And we only, all we have is signal from the market, which is what I think most founders have, right? You don't have um, paying customers on the day that you start your company. You have a blank piece of paper and you have to go quickly and resourcefully from blank piece of paper to a product that you can get in the hands of someone else. So you can get feedback on it. Whether you charge them for it or you don't depends on what you're doing, but ultimately getting that customer feedback is really critical. So in parallel, we started discovery conversations with product managers, um, technical partners, folks within other fintechs and financial services companies where payments was a pain point and time to money was something that people had been trying to figure out how to solve so that we could get even more crisp on not the problem we wanted to attack, but the actual attack vector, which was how would the solution come together. And then slowly... It keeps going. Yeah. And it just keeps building on it. Well, I love, love that. So last question, best advice that you ever received? Well, that is a tough one to answer because so much of the advice I get, and I'm so fortunate to get every day is very good advice. But I think the best advice that has shaped me through and through is not to look back and wonder how I got here or why it happened. There is an opportunity to look back on past decisions, past mistakes, but do it without a self-loathing, right? So there's a difference between looking back and saying, I should have done it. That's a very self-loathing way to think about, gosh, I failed in that moment. As opposed to saying, I could have done it differently. Could have implies a very different psyche of thinking about what other information or data points might I have wanted in that moment. And so there's plenty of times when I look back and think I could have done it differently, but if I live life in the I should have, all life ends up being is an accumulation of regrets. And the reality is, as a founder and as an entrepreneur, most of what you're doing is failing. It's just parsing through the failures to find the one to two things that are actually going to work. And so you can't let the accumulation of all of that end up eating away your confidence and conviction that you got to put one foot in front of the other every day. You should absolutely look back on certain things, but only so that you have the right information to look forward. Thank you so much, Stephanie. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey, including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023. And goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. 
Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.